The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're doing well as the sun is shining. It is hot outside here in the middle of June. It is June 8th, 2023. This is the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. Alongside me, as always, is Carter Bird. And it's Thursday. It is our baseball power hour. I'm claiming it. I don't care. We're claiming it. It is what it is. It is the baseball power hour with Lindsey Crosby in studio of bravetoday.com Auburn Daily and the host of Locked on MLB Prospects gentlemen happy Thursday it's good to see you both in here oh yeah it's good to be here it's good to see Lindsey of course rocking his what is the pronunciation of this officially the, so Atlanta. for the folks who, who can't see my shirt which is everyone uh, it says Atlanta but it has the tilde over the end like Ronald Acuna's name um I don't know how to say it. It's just Atlantia. I tried. Yeah. Atlantia. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's sweet. You always Atlanta. have some. You always have some unique Braves He's gear that you wear. He's got the best baseball stuff of anybody we know. Uh, he does, and that's not just the knowledge. That is shirts, knowledge hats, and the fit. There, you, there go. you go. That's right. Well, that's why we bring you in here talking all things baseball here in hour number one of the Thursday edition of On the Line. If you've been with us before, you know how we do it. We'll start the first thirty minutes talking about the Atlanta Braves. Uh, we'll get you caught up on what's going on with them and everything else going on around Major League Baseball, including the fact that New York teams just can't play right now. Uh, we'll talk about that as well, and then. Uh, unfortunately in the back half of the hour we will have to recap and put a bow on the Auburn baseball season Uh, but we can still talk SEC and college baseball in general is that a shot at the Mets like just not being able to beat the Braves it wasn't but you can say that if you want (laughs) the (laughs) post-mortem I was talking about the the doomsday look that New York City has right now that's what I was referring to very Blade Runner-ish yeah, yeah yeah I like it that's a good that's a good way to put it reminds me of the, the the California wildfires yeah. And, and how it looked out there for a I, while. I said if you go in a desert anywhere in any movie, if they go into a desert, that's what it looks like. Maybe it's just an, an orange haze. I mean, it's crazy looking. So, yes, we will talk about that and the Braves, Major League Baseball. We'll talk about Auburn, how the season ended, how the season went as a whole, what to expect moving forward from this Butch Thompson-led baseball team, and also get some uh, thoughts and predictions from Lindsey Crosby about the Super Regionals going on this weekend around college baseball. So, a busy hour, number one. If you have any comments, questions, concerns for us or Lindsey, you, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. You can call in, be a part of the show, and be on the line. And so with that, we'll jump into the Atlanta Braves, who have been going up against the New York Mets and... It seems like that's all the Braves needed, was to take on the Mets, go to New York, and try to uh, try to 
get a game or two and maybe just try to get on on ta- on track and all of a sudden the Braves have started winning baseball games again. Yes, it's been uh, a a really nice way to kick off the homestand here. 6 and 4 on Tuesday, 7 and 5 on Wednesday against the Mets and both of them kind of uh, started the same way. Atlanta's been really hot on offense early and the Mets have not, but the Mets have come out and gotten some early runs on Atlanta and then Atlanta's had that big inning. You know where they just go and they they take the lead, and then the bullpen's pretty sh- uh, sh- locked down. I think the bullpen's allowed one run over the last two games, and they just you know dominate the rest of the game. And Atlanta wins with some late runs, and that's what's happened so far. We've had some great storylines. We had the throw it again from Pete Alonso on Tuesday. Uh, we had Michael Harris having the game of his season <laughs> last night. Yeah, and then tonight you get. Probably the best pitching matchup of the year in baseball so far outside of opening day. It's Spencer Strider versus Justin Verlander. Like, that, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, should be a lot of fun tonight. And so, what have you seen? Because the last time we had you in here talking about the Braves, they had uh, just come off the series loss against the Dodgers. They had the series split against the Phillies. And then they had the series loss against the A's. Now, they turned it around against the Diamondbacks, who have been a pretty impressive squad. Don't hear Arizona Diamondbacks and think the Diamondbacks of old. Uh, they're an impressive squad. And then they've seemed to turn it around here against the New York Mets. What have you seen in the past week or so that has changed for the Atlanta Braves so part of it is it comes back to health like for the most part minus some some random bullpen guys here and there who keep going on and off the list and then your two big pitchers for the most part it's it's health right you've got a lot of these guys back Michael Harris is finally over that hyperextended knee that he mm-hmm. had when he came back from the back injury you know he, he got hurt again and and you're starting to get contributions from guys who haven't necessarily done it yet Eddie Rosario has always he's never been a high batting average guy but like the saving grace for Eddie Rosario was at the very least he's going to put the ball in play and this season he really struggled with you know in like end zone swing and miss he struggled you know putting the ball in play in those situations where you can advance a runner a sack fly things like that uh, he goes off against Arizona apparently he hates snakes uh, he hits he hits two solo shots in game one, he hits a triple in game two, and then he has the ninth inning grand slam with two outs in game three for Atlanta to win the series. So you're starting to get some of these guys who are not the drivers of your offense, of your offensive engine, but they're key parts. You're starting to get them back up to speed. Michael Harris went three for four last night, three RBIs, was had everything but a triple from the cycle. And... That plus a nice running catch in the eight, the top, the top of the eighth inning, you're getting contributions from the entire lineup, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing you've been missing. And the timing works out well because after this Mets series, you've got 16 games against teams with losing records. How about that? When you look at this Braves lineup, when mm-hmm. it's clicking on all cylinders, is there a better lineup in baseball? I don't think there is, and one of the main reasons for that is you have plenty of guys that have power in this lineup, and we all know that. But I think an underrated aspect of this lineup is how good they do against lefties. You know, a lot of teams have issues with uh, with lefty starters. This lineup, this season alone, like three, like 303 batting average against left-handed starters, or sorry, left-handed pitchers in general. And guys like Michael Harris are your counterbalances to that. Guys like Eddie Rosario are your counterbalances to that. So when you have them working as well, you can't just say, well, we're not. We're going to skip our lefties and we're going to go righty heavy because you've got guys in the lineup who can still crush righties. And I think that's one of the big things is you have speed all the way through the lineup. Uh, I mean, 
it's all except for a catcher in first base Atlanta has guys who could steal bases at just about every spot on the field with the game against the Mets with the throw it again throw it again for our listeners that don't know the storyline behind that it's really funny and it's really awesome if they didn't see it didn't hear it don't know what it is tell them what that is because what I mean it's just it's why one of the reasons you love baseball because of the little things like this I mean it, it was so much fun yeah so Mets and Braves obviously big rivals Atlanta chased them down to win the the division last year uh, Bryce Elder is starting on Tuesday. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball. Gave up, I think, two home runs all season entering that game. In the third inning, he hangs two sliders, and both of them are hit by home runs, one by shortstop Francisco Lindor, one by first baseman Pete Alonso. Alonso gets back to the dugout. You know, it's like the middle of the next at-bat. He's putting away his stuff, and he turns to the field, and he's like, throw it again, throw it again, please. He's like yelling at Bryce Elder, and for the record, Bryce Elder admitted after the game, he's like, I didn't even hear him say anything, but like, if I hit a ball in the concourse, I'd probably be yelling too. So when the Braves turn around and have that big inning where they take the lead, uh, Braves pitcher Tyler Matzik, who's recovering from Tommy John, uh, he turns and starts yelling at the Mets, hey, throw it again, throw it again. <laughs> so Tyler Matzik didn't appear in the game and yet still got the W, uh, but... It became a thing, right? There's a shirt out now. Came out the very next day. Throw it again. The Braves used it in their their uh, their the graphic, final yeah. yeah their graphic after the game with the final score and all of that. And it became a thing from the point that Pete Alonso did that for the rest of the game. The Mets had one hit and no runs. Atlanta scored, I think, six unanswered runs and won the game. So, like, what really prompted it from Pete Alonso? Because it doesn't feel like the most Pete Alonzo thing in the world to unprompted do that. So Braves hatred. So <laughs> I am, I'm going to preface this with saying I'm a fan of Pete Alonzo. I love to watch him in the home run derby. He's a home run hitting machine. You like watching him sit in silence in a, in the batting cage and with his eyes closed. Yeah. But he's a complete <laughs> meathead, right? I mean, th- there was no reason like Bryce Elder wasn't chirping at that. There was no reason to do it other than this is a rivalry that's right. heated. Uh, and I'm I'm reminded of if you watched the Last Dance docu series about Michael Jordan, there's a part towards the end of the last episode where he's talking about the concept of trash talking, and he's like anybody can talk trash when you're ahead, mm-hmm. but if you can talk trash when you're um, when you're tied or you're behind, he's like that's the measure of a man. And I'm like that's the first thing I thought of is like yeah you were up by like four, yeah talk trash when you're up by four, but then you lost. And then I went, I was randomly on the internet and like, oh, look, Pete Alonzo's turn off commenting on his Instagram. Like, of course. <laughs> okay. Of course he did. Yeah. That's really soft. That is, yeah. that's very, that. it's very soft. That yeah. is the name of the game in what social media is nowadays, especially with athletes or famous people or, or not even famous people, just somebody when you get in an argument and then they lose most of the time, they're just like, yep, I'm private. We're done. And I'm turning off a comment. So uh, it, it was interesting. I thought it was, uh, it, it was a big story. It was interesting to see and just for our, our listeners in case they hadn't seen that when we talk about this Braves lineup we haven't talked about them in a while I feel like it's been too long you're talking about guys who have gotten right started seeing the ball better gotten over some injuries started playing better ball what about our favorite Braves outfielder Marcel Azuna who is now hitting 235 on the year and over the last month is hitting 329 Marcel May was such a thing that he is now <laughs> 
like an above average hitter on OPS plus. Was like, that made into a t-shirt, Marcel May? It was not, but now that I think about it, we really should have done that for <laughs> Bracenay.com. That would have been a great thing to do. That would have been uh, good. No, like he so he he got started in Miami to uh, to, to open May, he got starts in all three games of the series against the Marlins because he lives in Miami still. Like he, They signed him as a free agent uh, when he was coming up and all of that, and he just went nuclear. He had, I think, like three or four home runs in the series, and since then, his May was just completely torrid to the point where Ben Taylor and I have been calling it Marcel May on the Braves Today podcast, and uh, and he is he actually got a lot of credit for Michael Harris figuring things out and being a little better Michael Harris was talking to the to the media yesterday and said like Tuesday night in the tunnel before he went to bat in the eighth inning like Marcelo Zuna pulled him aside and like talked him up a little bit like coached him up a little bit and kind of gave him that that confidence booster talk and after that he had a a 105 mile an hour line drive that was like barely caught in the outfield and then he had this big three for four game on Wednesday and so it's like Marcelo Zuna leader like <laughs> question mark <laughs> like, like it went oh, from, from are oh, we no. gonna DFA we're gonna this that. guy oh, we're no. gonna out. are we gonna go from like like DFA in this guy and eating 32 million dollars to like He's above average offensively, and he's a leader in our clubhouse. Is like, this like is this something that you think is sustainable for what he's doing right now? From what I from what I understand, I feel like like it's he slacked off a little bit at the end of May. This is back to Ozuna, but I feel like him being the DH and and being a contributing member of the offense is kind of where he is now. He's figured out what was wrong with the swing. He's doing all of the right things as far as as putting in the extra work. I've seen him in, on video doing like infield drills with Ron Washington. Ozuna? Yeah. Like you're not even playing the field, but he's it. but he's Good still he's still doing the defensive work, the drills, trying to get better. The only thing that really has gone wrong for him was that stupid thing where he didn't ro- run out the uh the single in Arizona and in his defense, if you hit a ball 415 feet, that should be a home run. I don't Should be. It's it's dumb you have a 22-foot high wall in center field in the in Arizona, but whatever. <laughs> well, it's like it's like the Baltimore park that they just ruined left field for for right-handed hitters. Oh yeah, because the hate. wall because they moved it back and it increased and the height of yes, the wall. Yeah, it's so dumb because like I think I saw was it last year? I think it was maybe Mount Castle would have had like ten or eleven more home runs on his total of balls that just went into that cavern and died and were caught, uh, but. Hey, you may have said it, that it was Marcel May. What are we going to call June? Because hot start so far, 6 of 12 on the first first eight days of this month. I was really hoping that Eddie Rosario <laughs> would have an amazing June after that Arizona series. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to call that. It kind of feels, it's kind of hard to fit something into. There's not really a lot of Braves guys with J that lead their name. Right. But I'd have found some way to give Eddie Rosario, you know, the month of June. At this point, I just really want like I want the Braves to take advantage of the easy schedule. May was a tough schedule. I think they were one game over, over 500, but they played a lot of really good teams. Like I said, you've got 16 games coming up against teams with losing records. It's time to take advantage it's if time, you're Atlanta time, Braves. Time to take advantage, especially with kicking it off with the Mets, because every game you win against the Mets counts for two in the standings, yep. because you go up one, they go down yep. one. So yep. No would, doubt. 
when Marcel Ozuna wins World Series MVP, Stop. we just need to compile all of our clips over the course of the uh, season talk, talking about him. Because I we'll will, be the only ones talking positively about him. <laughs> I will 100% eat all of the crow if it gets me a World Series championship. You would be surprised how many things I would do for a World Series championship. No doubt about it. Well, let's get to our first break here in hour number one. When we come back, Lindsey Crosby in studio. Want to ask him about the Braves and the All-Star game as we are just over a month away. How on track are the Braves to get some guys in there we'll talk about that plus the rest of the teams around major league baseball 334-321-1390 we'll talk more baseball when we come back here on the thursday edition of on the line you are on the line on espn 1067 call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 Back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7 for the Thursday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby for our Baseball Power Hour. Lindsey, plug everything you got going on. You're up to 18 outlets now, I think. So just go ahead and plug all those. So covering the game of baseball, the, the hub for everything is Twitter, at Crosby Baseball is where I am. But starting at the college level, the, uh, at AuburnDaily.com, covering Auburn Baseball, Minor League Baseball, Locked on MLB Prospects, the number one daily minor league baseball podcast available whoop, whoop. wherever you get your podcasts, and covering the major leagues at bravestoday.com. Well, that's only three. Did you get fired from all the other ones? Or <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you do fantastic work for all three of those. You're joining us in studio for the entire first hour. want to ask you one question about the Braves before we talk Major League Baseball in general. Okay. Uh, I talked about it and hinted at it before we went to break. We're just over a month away from the MLB All-Star game. That is July 7th. Um, for the Braves in general, your... I guess your assumption or your projections for how many Atlanta Braves you think will be all-stars in 2023 at this point in time. So looking at the list of who Atlanta has uh, on the ballot, I'm thinking Ronald Cody Jr. is a lock. He's probably going to lead the National League in votes. I mean, it's that, that is 100% for sure. But after that, Matt Olson has a good chance, I think probably an alternate I feel like if somebody's going to get left out of that usual group, it's going to be Goldschmidt. Uh, Freddie Freeman's probably the starter. Mm -hmm. And Olsen's one of the two alternates. Uh, Ozzy has a chance. I don't know if it's going to happen. Austin Riley, I think, has a better chance because of um, Nolan Arenado having a rough year. Mm -hmm. But either way, I think first base and third base, you both have a pretty good shot there. Uh, Shorts up, I'm going to say no because Orlando R.C. had missed some time. But I think Sean Murphy's probably the leading vote getter in the National League because he's had a lot of prominent stuff there. Uh, and then outside of that, Spencer Strider is going to get definitely picked. And I would I would guess maybe Bryce Elder as well. Yeah, and I think there's I was going to ask you about him if he, yeah. you think he can get there. Well, the numbers are really good. I don't know if he'll get voted by the fans, but I think Bryce Elder might be one of those manager selections because okay. his his ERA does lead the National League. I mean, it's it's he is one of the better ones. I think Travis Darno has an outside shot at designated hitter, but he's probably not going to get it. So does uh, Marcelo Zuna is technically on there as an outfielder on the ballot. I don't think he'll get selected. He's been on he's been a, twice already, but I do have yeah. So what's that? That's uh, if you count, count the two pitchers, that's probably I'm thinking five Braves. That's that kinda, solid. That kind of yeah. feels like not going out on too much of a limb to say Strider gets voted, Elder gets picked, and then Acuna's a lock. Olsen and Riley have a pretty good shot. And then yeah. Sean Murphy's in there. Okay. Well, well Olsen's yeah. issue is just it's it's a logjam at first base in the in the NL because you've got uh, 
Freeman's the starter. We know you've that already. Freeman, mm-hmm. You've got Freeman. You've got Goldschmidt. You've got Alonzo with 22 home runs. I mean, you've got all those guys in the conversation, and it's just yeah. it's difficult to crack that group. I could see Freeman as the starter with Olsen and Alonzo as the backups, which would make it a little bit fun for those festivities. I just... Goldschmidt was the MVP last year, but like nobody in St. Louis is having a great year. And so it kind of feels hard to just, he, yes, he has the name recognition and so much of this is the fan vote. So I think that does help, but it feels like that's, that's the one where I'm a little not sure. I feel pretty good about Sean Murphy. I feel pretty decent about Austin Riley. Uh, that's the one where I'm not quite sure is first base because you've got arguably four guys for three spots. Yeah. And so somebody's going to get left out. The odds favor um, you making it, but I just, you never know. Yeah. Well, is there, is there a chance that Riley's the starter at third? He could be. Uh, third base in the National League has been a little bit weird. It's been really weird. Yeah. Looking at the Machado's uh, missed time. Uh, Arenado hasn't been uh, his usual self. Muncie's barely over the Mendoza line, but has 18 bombs. Is Muncie listed at third or second? Because I listed thought, it at third. Was it third? Okay. What I'm looking at. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's one of those. Riley could be the starter because he's one of the only ones that's actually played the position all year and like hasn't missed time. He has the name recognition. I want to say he's he's been selected once before. Last year was his first time, so he's he's at least not a first time uh, All Star. Feels like he has a he has a better shot than Olson does simply because the logjam isn't as bad at third as it is at first. Yeah. Well, I was I was just curious on what what you were thinking as we're like I said just over a month away from uh from the MLB All-Star game and so I will talk to you between now and then and see yeah. which Atlanta Braves actually get selected. But looking outside of Atlanta, we have a few more minutes before our bottom of the hour break and we'd love to hear from you our listeners 334-321-1390 outside of Atlanta. The rest of Major League Baseball. Uh why is Ellie De La Cruz the best story in in, in Major League Baseball right now? <laughs> okay, so for those of you who do not know who Ellie De La Cruz is, he is a shortstop and third baseman for the Cincinnati Reds. He was called up uh, just three days ago. Like it happened this week, like Tuesday, like Monday or Tuesday. My days are already all running together. But he is an absolute like freak, like in a good way. He is a unicorn. There's so many things that he does well that we've just never really seen guys do uh, since 1901. In their first three games, players that had a single, a double, a triple, a home run, and a stolen base, the list is two people. And Ellie De La Cruz is one of those. Holy smokes. Yeah. It was, I mean, his first two hits he collected, he had a double in his first game and a home run in the second game. They were immediately the two hardest hit balls by a Cincinnati Reds player this season. Not just against any team, by the way. Against the Dodgers. Against the Dodgers, yeah. They walked off the Dodgers twice at home. Um so he did that. His first his first uh, base hit was that double, and his his uh, time from home to first was, or sorry, his sprint speed during that run was the second highest sprint speed of the entire season measured in MLB. What? Oh, he's also like six six two hundred and thirty five pounds. Is he, he can, is he what I wanted O'Neill Cruz to be? Like O'Neill Cruz was good, but they are, not like. He hasn't started like this. O'Neal Cruz is diet Ellie De La Cruz. <laughs> okay. He is Ellie De La Cruz light. The Walmart version? That's he what is, I like to say. He is store brand Ellie De La Cruz. There great, you go. Great value. Um, <laughs> like, the weird yeah. thing about Ellie De La Cruz was coming into this season, every year he had been in the minors, he qualified for a batting title. Like, he had, he had a batting average over 300. 
yet he struck out like 30-something percent of the time. Like, he was the only player in baseball to do that. Jeez. Because the pat, like, he legitimately may have... So, for people who don't follow baseball prospects and scouting, long story short, you evaluate the five grades that a player has. The hit tool, the hit, but it hit for power, their speed, their arm, and their defense on a 20 to 80 scale. Don't ask me why it's dumb. 50 is uh, average. Like if you are at 50, you are average. If you are at 60, that is plus. That is one standard deviation better than baseball. So it goes up to 80. 80 is like the absolute best you could ever see. Billy Hamilton's speed is like an 80 grade, the fastest player in baseball history. Elliot La Cruz legitimately has three 70 grade tools. Because wow. his speed, his arm, and his power are all that high. He is... He has the highest ceiling to me of any player in baseball right now, minus maybe Shohei Otani. That's a really that's a big statement for a guy that has been playing. He's had three major league games under his belt. Yeah, I Wins. mean, and it's it's just he is he is freaking nature. And the greatest thing about the story is the Reds signed him as an international free agent for sixty thousand dollars. Nobody knew he was going to be this good. Wow, like no one had any idea he was going to be this good, and. Uh, it was a lot of a lot was him obviously a little bit was the team and the development and things like that and he is just an like he destroyed minor league pitching this year until they called him up uh he literally the ceiling is like the sky is the limit for Eloy Cruz I could not be more impressed with any I've never been more impressed with any prospect I've watched in person when's the last time we saw two teams pull up or a, a team pull up two shortstops as rookies that look like they have the potential to be the best two players on the team because you have Matt McClain as well, Matt who's McClain. 348 and is 92 at bat so far. I think McClain eventually, what they're going to have to do is, Ellie De La Cruz wants to be the starting shortstop. They're either going to do Ellie at third and McClain at second, or McClain played sh- uh, center field at UCLA. So they could hmm. always kick him back out to, to uh, center field. When they were in the minors, they would split time, and McClain would play shortstop half the week, and De La Cruz would play third. And then when De La Cruz played short, McLean would play second half the week. But in Cincinnati, you have Jonathan India. What a horrible problem. What a horrible problem for the Reds to have. They have so much talent that they brought up, they can't figure out where to put them all. Well, Lindsey Crosby joining us in studio. We've talked Braves. We've talked Major League Baseball. Don't you worry. We'll talk Auburn baseball and the SEC when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. All right, halfway through hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for all of hour number one here on ESPN 106.7. He is our baseball guy, baseball guru, whatever adjective you want to put in there. Uh, we've talked a lot of Atlanta Braves, talked about Major League Baseball as well want to change gears as much as uh, it may pain us to talk about it into Auburn baseball it's always how we do this talk Braves in, in major mm-hmm. leagues first hour first half hour and then the second half hour with you we talk Auburn and the SEC and of course uh, super regionals coming up this weekend uh, Auburn um not going to be there unfortunately they had a chance to not only be there Lindsay they had a chance to host because the things outside of Plainsman Park and Auburn Alabama went the way they needed to uh, but Auburn 
really it just seemed like on our end, Lindsey just ran out of gas and just couldn't get any runs on the board. Your assessment of the the regional at Plainsman Park where Auburn went 0-2 and they were bounced from the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think the the big thing that Auburn was just missing in the tournament was the big hit. And I'll, I'll kind of explain that like this. Over the course of the regular season, Auburn had one game where they did not record an extra base hit. They did not have an extra base hit in either game of the regional. It was just something where the offense went cold at the worst possible time. You combine that with some stuff like Tommy Vale had an uncharacteristic outing. I think he had given up, maybe it was either two or three home runs all year, and he gave up that same number in his outing in the elimination game of the regional. And so if Auburn had won since Clemson lost in their regional, they lost to Tennessee and then again to Charlotte, uh, Auburn would have been in position to host their first ever Super Regional. Instead, Southern Miss won ours, and credit to them, I went and watched Southern Miss. They lost their opener to Samford uh, in extras, and so they had to go to the loser's bracket. They fought through the loser's bracket. They won three straight games to uh, take, the, take the regional, and Hattiesburg is hosting a Super Regional. They're hosting Tennessee this weekend. What do you think about that really quick? Do you think that was the right move? I do. I do. Yeah, it was. it was something where... The teams are very similar, uh, but it's something where, to me, yes, I thought it was the right move. Um, RPI-wise, they're all they're kind of in the same boat. I thought Southern Miss had a good argument to host a regional themselves. I, I think Tennessee was pretty solidly a two-seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I just never really, really want to see Tony Vitello get nice things. And so I think a lot of people are in that boat. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you something about you reap what you sow, whatever. And so I just think it like it worked out well that that Tennessee has to travel now uh, to Hattiesburg uh, and the 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 fight in Brett Favre's down in Baton there you Rouge. Go. Uh, and I'm really excited that you get to see Tanner Hall pitch again. So Southern Mississippi's starter Tanner Hall is a second to third round draft prospect this year Mm -hmm. i watched him on friday night go or friday afternoon technically go nine innings one run nine strikeouts and get a no decision because it was tied i think two two going into extras or no 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 it was tied it was tied one one i'm sorry it was tied one one going into extras and they lost they scored and won off of the reliever and so like that dude went nine nine innings Got a no decision. That is tough. And, and, then, they, gets, and then the team lost. The team lost. But they came back. They won. He gets a chance to avenge that this weekend. Uh, and their coach is retiring after the season. And so this is a nice, this continues his season. And if nothing else, he gets to go out at home in front of his home crowd if they lose versus going out on the road like what almost happened to them with an, elim- an elimination game in Auburn. And so, with, with again, with everything that happened with Auburn, we talked about all year long uh, about Auburn's their basically their bounce back. Right, halfway through the year, they uh, lost to Texas A and M. They lost at Alabama. They just they were not in a good spot. They then turned it around. They became one of the hottest teams in the SEC, one of the hottest teams in the country. The atmosphere was fantastic. On a Tuesday, we had Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, in here, and we asked him about the the atmosphere at Plainsman Park, and he said it was, you know, it was electric, and it was one of the ones, one of the better ones he's seen. Mm-hmm. But the issue was they didn't have a whole lot to cheer about. Yeah, uh, it, it, Auburn struggled at the plate all weekend, and. I say all weekend. They didn't play past Saturday. 
And it really didn't feel like until maybe the sixth inning of the second game did Auburn start to finally get some good approaches at the plate. And at that point, it was too late. They scored, mm-hmm. they scored I think, a run on in that sixth inning. But at that point, it was just it was too little too late. Uh, and, and the crowd was, I mean, I'll, I'll confirm what Andy said. The crowd was fantastic. That was one of the loudest crowds that I think I may have ever heard in Plainsman Park. I mean, that was, that was insane. So I, it was really nice to see how many people were out there. Uh, I, I, I did appreciate the joke. I saw somebody put out that it was because we didn't do an Eagle flight. That's why we lost. <laughs> I thought about so that. So maybe we should, you know, bring that back. Uh, but no, Penn, Penn played really well. And I tried to tell a lot of people coming into that series, like Penn is a threat. Penn has good pitching. Uh, you know, S- Southern Miss is a very good team. Those are probably the best two and four seeds in the entire tournament. And they went on and they played for the for the championship in the regional. So uh, it was something where you go through hot streaks and cold streaks on offense, pitching, all of that. And I'm reminded if you've seen the the movie or read the book Moneyball, mm-hmm. Billy Bean has, is you know GM of the Oakland A's, and they they make this their whole thing work in Oakland despite no money. And somebody asked about why he hadn't won a World Series or won more championships. And he said, in, in essence, to clean it up for your show, my stuff doesn't work in the playoffs. Like, you can build a roster and try to get yourself all these incremental advantages. And over the course of a season, they will help you win more games. But in a small three, five, in this case, two-game sample, luck sometimes just doesn't quite go your way. And I can think of three or four times when an Auburn corner infielder, so Bryson Ware or uh, Cooper McMurray, absolutely blasted a ball, like got it right on the screws, sitting it up one of the baselines, and only one of them, baselines, uh, one of the, the foul lines, and only one time did it actually fall for a hit. Like one of them, Cooper McMurray sent a screamer up the first baseline, but right at the first baseman who caught it, turned around and tagged Carter Wright for a double play. And the same thing happened mm-hmm. with Chris Stanfield all weekend long, who yeah. hit every baseball about as hard as you could, just hit it straight to a defender. And, and you know what? We, as baseball, as a baseball purist like yourself and us being big baseball guys, there are times where you just put it up to, that's baseball. Yeah. There's a concept called um, BABIP, batting average on balls in play. And the idea is anytime you you hit a ball and get it into play, how often is it a hit? And over the course of a season, you may have a low batting average of balls in play for a while, and then you might have a high one, and it balances out. But in this series, in a small sample like this, there's no time for it to balance out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Auburn just having so many Auburn got Case and Howell. I, mean, I think there's runners on maybe first and second or second and third, and he sends a rocket up the middle off the pitcher's mound. But the second baseman dives and knocks it down and touches the bag for the out. Like, and it ends the inning. And it's just so many times that Auburn mm-hmm. had players just blast. And the thing I like to point out to people is everything went right for Penn in that first game. And everything went wrong for Auburn in that first game. Auburn was like 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. Uh, left 10 men on base and all of this stuff. And it still went to extras. Yeah. Auburn still came that close to winning. And it's just, it's the, the margins are so slim in the postseason and you don't have a chance for that luck to even out, and the luck just never evened out for Auburn. I mean, but between Stanfield, Bryson Ware, Bobby Pierce, Cooper, Cooper McMurray, and Cason Howell, by my math, I think they went a combined over the two games five for thirty-eight. Which yeah. I, I mean, you can play that series a hundred more times, and I bet you they have more success than that every single time. Yeah. Uh, but talking about that pin game, mm-hmm. 
am I in the wrong for being disappointed in Auburn's in-game adjustments because you struck out so much, and I felt like you, yes, Penn had a really good pitcher on the mound. Mm-hmm. I will, I agree with that. But the fact that it kept looking like Auburn got fooled on that sweeping breaking ball time and time again, and he, he felt like, I don't, you probably know the numbers more than I do, it felt like he was certainly throwing it over 50% of the time, and it felt like Auburn still was up there looking fastball and was just off balance and getting fooled. I mean, the top of the lineup in that game, your first five hitters struck out 10 times. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you're not going to get a, have a lot of success when you're striking out that much at the top of the lineup. I think Auburn had a combined, like, maybe 16 strikeouts in that game. I think it was 14, yeah. 14, yeah. Not a really good look. And they fixed it for game two. I think they struck out maybe three or four times yeah, against other Southern Miss. Four, I believe. A lot better. But it was something where, like, Ryan Dombrowski, I mean, we, we, we kind of had a book on him. We knew what he was about. We knew that he was uh, fastball, big sweepy slider, and he had a change that he would throw. And he went to the sweeper a little more often than the scouting report said. And it felt like... The big thing was him making better adjustments than Auburn's hitters did. Like Auburn's hitters had the, the approach of we have to recognize it and lay off of it. And we know that in these situations, he likes to come back to the fastball. And he did a really good job of just not coming back to the fastball. Like he 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 recognized he was having better success than usual on the sweeper. And he was able to start landing it for strikes, which is not something that a lot of guys can do with those sweepers, those big horizontal moving breaking pitches. Usually they'll start them in the zone, they'll take them out of the zone for a strike. And it felt like he he was confident in his ability, when I have to, I can land this for a strike. I know they're trying to lay off, they're trying to get a fastball, and so and they're good fastball hitters. So I'm going to try to not throw it less. And Auburn took too long to adjust to him being different in his sequencing. It was a really, really good job by, uh, is it Ryan Dombrowski? Ryan Dombrowski? And it was a really good, it was a, yeah, it was a really good example of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Because like you said, it wasn't his go-to, but Auburn couldn't figure it out. And he said, hit it if you can. And Auburn couldn't in that first game against Penn. Yeah. And, and to go behind that, they brought in, two of their top relievers. I mean, they 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 used their A pieces out of both the rotation and the bullpen to win that game. Mm-hmm. And you could see some of that when they had to play Southern Miss twice, when Penn did, and they didn't have their key guys until they had Dombrowski for, I think, maybe an inning, an inning or two in that elimination game on Monday. But uh, like they, they played as close to a perfect game as they could play. Auburn had all the breaks go against them, and yet it was still that close. Uh, but a little bit of it was the approaches, a little bit of it, there was a little bit of maybe decision-making that you might want to take back or you know, base running or a defense thing here and there. Um, and it's it's something where over the course of a, of, a, of a season, that kind of stuff evens out. It just didn't do it in a one-game sample in this case against Penn. Want to take a break? We'll get to it in our final one here in hour number one. Lindsay, I'll pose the question to you and our listeners as we get to the break. We talked about the noise from the outside coming into the regional was very loud on whether Auburn should have hosted a regional or not. Then you go 0-2. You didn't back it up very well. I want to get your thoughts on that. Plus, where does Auburn baseball go from here as the 2023 season comes to a close? We'll talk about that as we wrap up hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line on the other side. You are on the line. 
on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Wrapping up the first hour here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, we're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio. Plug everything you got going on in case we run out of time. I want you to be sure you tell everybody where to find you and all your fantastic work, man. There you go. Hub of Everything is on Twitter. I am at Crosby Baseball. The college baseball stuff, AuburnDaily.com. The minor league stuff, the Locked on MLB Prospects podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. And the major league stuff, BravesToday.com. Well, as we wrap up this hour, I asked you a couple of things before we went to break. Um, and we'll talk about both of them really quickly we got about six or seven minutes here the noise around Auburn hosting a regional because of who John Cohen is Mm -hmm. because of what boards that he's on right there was some very upset fans and and programs around the country that felt they should have hosted a regional over Auburn and then you get to the point where all right it's time to play baseball let's just put this thing behind us if you're Auburn let's go out here win the regional and move on and, and shut everybody up well, you pretty much did the opposite and you gave them more fuel for their fire. Your thoughts on just that whole situation because it was it was a a real situation there for a while. Yeah. So heading into that weekend and the thing that I kept saying when I came on here is there hadn't been a 17 win a 17 conference win SEC team with an RPI of 17 or better that had not hosted a regional. And a lot of the controversy came because the way that RPI fell this year, the the hosts ended up being the 1 through 15 teams in RPI. And then Auburn was at 17 and got selected. And so you skipped some teams that were better in RPI than Auburn. Uh, that was some of the complaints. But Auburn was also the 13th seed. So Auburn wasn't the last team to get a spot. And if you go back and you look at it, Alabama was the 16th seed. Right. And South Carolina was the 15th seed. So like Auburn wasn't the like You weren't competing with Auburn to get the hosting spot, you were competing with South Carolina and Alabama. Now, the reason people got all mad about it was, one, the RPI thing and how that lined up, and two, the fact that John Cohen, athletic director at Auburn, was chairman of the selection committee. And he said on air he had to step out of the room whenever they talked about Auburn. A lot of people turned to me and said, yeah, but you don't think he, you don't think he has influence on them when he comes back in the room? And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theories. <laughs> like, here's the matter of fact is 17 win... SEC teams with an RPI that good always host. Like that's just that's just how it is. The SEC got a record-breaking eight hosting spots this year. Uh, I think if you could redo the whole thing with the benefit of hindsight, you probably take Auburn out of hosting just simply because of the results. But based on the resumes the teams had, I think it probably was the right decision to let Auburn host. And I think if you're going to change the system to not be so closely hewn to RPI, you need to weight recent performance a little bit better. And if you had done that, instead of just sticking so close to RPI, South Carolina would not have been hosting. You could have given a spot to Southern Miss, or you could have found a tournament spot for Cal State Fullerton. And who could have seen South Carolina with as broken of a, of a team as they were down the stretch? Going out and just dominating their regional the way that Golly. they did, yeah, they which doesn't help Auburn's argument. I mean, it was yeah. it was the second. I mean, in my mind, it was the second most impressive performance in a regional behind Wake, who just took a sledgehammer to everybody. You mean Rake Forest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they will um, probably do something similar this weekend. I think. Yeah, I, I think they will too. Um, yeah, Campbell got off to a slow start in that regional. South Carolina kind of. Uh, avoided having to deal with Campbell until the very until the very end out of the loser's bracket, and Campbell uh, didn't have enough to outlast South Carolina. But they put up a bunch of runs. They scored 19 in their opening round game. 
I was like like 196 and 16 or something like that. Like they mm-hmm. they went kind of hard. Uh, the Conway Regional for Coastal Carolina was hosting. That was a really interesting one to me. Ryder made like the four seed made a decent run in there. Lost game five to to Coastal, and then that ended up being a a you know Duke played two games and and Coastal Carolina won the first one. Duke won the second to win the regional. That was a fun one for me. And then Miami making it all the way to the to the championship in their own regional was surprising to me. I didn't quite think they'd do that it do that either. But ultimately, I think Auburn off the resume deserved to host. If you wait recent performance, you would have had Auburn hosting in South Carolina not hosting. Looking ahead to this weekend for the Super Regionals, uh, again, unfortunately, Auburn not a part of it, uh, but some really good SEC teams are there, some really good SEC matchups in mm-hmm. the Super Regionals. Predictions, hot takes, whatever you got for this weekend's Super Regional matchups. Uh, I love Wake Forest. I think it's going to be, I mean, domination. Luke Holman's a very good pitcher for Alabama. That first matchup, Rhett Lauder versus Luke Holman, is going to be a very good matchup, but I think Wake Forest just has way too many arms, and their power is so good. They're going to take that pretty easily. Uh, Tennessee versus Southern Mississippi. It's going to be a hostile environment for Tennessee. The Southern Miss fans were some of the loudest ones about they should be hosting. Uh, I just don't know if Southern Miss is going to have the arms to make it through that series against Tennessee, but I do like Southern Miss in there. LSU, I feel like they're going to handle Kentucky pretty handily. Kentucky didn't have a great record. They just had a super high RPI this year. So uh, Texas-Stanford, that's going to be really interesting. Um, Duke-Virginia, I like Virginia in this. Uh, South Carolina-Florida, I like Florida in that. Florida's got just a lot of dudes on the staff. Yeah, they do. Yeah. That's a nasty team. Indiana State TCU, I feel really bad for Indiana State because Tara Hot has some like special special Olympics event going on yes. this weekend, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't host a Super Regional. They did not think they were going to make it that far. They they didn't submit a proposal to even like figure out some alternative plan because they a didn't lot think of people, they were going to make it. Yeah. A lot of people got really upset about that. Yeah. Um, so TCU's hosting that Super Regional instead. But a lot of TCU fans did donate to the Special Olympics there in Indiana in honor of Indiana State, oh, cool. not trying to take away from the Special Olympics. So that was cool. Um, I do like TCU to make it out of that, but I think Indiana State's done great work, and this is a season to remember for them. And then Oral Roberts at Oregon, that feels like Oregon's probably going to dominate that. I say that I'm probably underrating uh, Oral Roberts, but it's just it feels like those power conferences and those postseason series at home. I mean, who – Oral Roberts beat what Washington and uh, Dallas Baptist. Like it yeah. wasn't the toughest regional. Uh, Oklahoma State was in there, but still, I just I I feel like that's going to be Oregon's series there. So you'll have two West Coast uh, schools in the College World Series. Quick uh, thoughts before before we run out of time. What are your thoughts on the three finalists for the Golden Spikes Award being two LSU players and a Florida player? Uh, if you look at just sheer dominance this season, I get it. Uh, they're, I mean, Cruz and Skeens are uh, two, probably two of the top three picks this, this summer in the draft, which we'll have plenty of coverage on on Locked and Movie Prospects, including tomorrow's show. We're, talk, we're talking about all the projected first rounders still mm. alive in the postseason. Um, if if Caglione was draft eligible this year, he probably would also be in that top that top half of the first round. And so it just kind of solidifies that, like, yeah, the SEC getting eight hosting spots out of a possible 16 wasn't a fluke. It just SEC baseball is that much better than everybody else. The last time you had a champion that wasn't an SEC team was Coastal Carolina, I think. 
Like it's it's so mm-hmm. often it's going to be an SEC team because these teams play the hardest schedules week in week out, just like in football. That's right. SEC dominance continues. Should be a really really fun super regional weekend. Lindsey Crosby, it's always fun to have you in studio, man. We appreciate you and your time, brother. Thanks for having me, Lindsey Crosby. If you if you like baseball, go check him out. AuburnDaily.com, Braves today as well, and also locked on MLB prospects. We'll talk some Auburn football coming up as we start hour number two. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody, as we get underway in hour number two here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. He's Carter Bird. I'm Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. Well, if you missed any of hour number one, we had Lindsey Crosby in for our baseball power hour talking all things Atlanta Braves, Major League Baseball, and of course, Auburn Baseball. Uh, sort of wrapping up the season a little bit with that, getting some predictions for uh, Super regionals this weekend and so if you missed any of that if you're a baseball fan baseball guy be sure you tune in and go and catch the podcast espnau.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast it'll be uploaded today commercial free right after the show today i i I didn't get to bring it up to uh lindsey but i just came across i wish i'd gotten to bring it up um johns hopkins just played a game, a must-win game to force a winner-take-all winner game in their postseason. Yeah. Their starter just threw 164 pitches. That uh, coach should be thrown in jail. What? 164? <laughs> yeah, that should be illegal. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Like, actually should be illegal. That is not in the best interest of your of anybody yeah tell me tell me what's on the mind of that head coach i believe it would be the letter w uh 164 pitches that uh, credit to him for being able to do that that is unbelievable this kid's gonna his arm's gonna gonna be just hanging for the next three days yeah put put that sucker in ice and don't move it for the next week um that is that's unbelievable well we did not talk about that but we did talk a lot of baseball so if you missed it go and check the podcast again go to espnau.com uh, we had Lindsey crosby in here for all of hour number one coming up at 3 30 though here in hour number two we will have uh, chris gordy host of the locked on sec podcast he joins us every thursday at 3 30 so we'll talk to him about all the things Things going on in the SEC, including the Super Regionals coming up this weekend. Get his thoughts and predictions on what is going to happen, what he thinks will happen this weekend around the country. But until then, phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you, our wonderful listeners. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. Anything on your mind in the sports world, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Comments, questions, concerns.
concerns, you can call in and be a part of the show and be on the line. But here in hour number two, want to start off uh, a little bit talking about Auburn football as they are hosting the seven-on-seven camps over there right now in the offensive-defensive line camps. Uh, Auburn looking to try to get you know learn some guys and and see where they can improve down the road on the offensive line and the defensive line and before we talk about the guys that are here uh, and the big names that are here it's good to to see that not only that they're doing it obviously but the fact that there are some really big names on campus right now talking uh, with the seven on sevens and the offensive line defensive line camps we know that that has been a struggle point for Auburn over the last few years especially on the offensive line uh, and what a way to to really get your school name in there but also get some of the biggest names on campus and at least try to shoot your shot with some of these guys and try to get some real talent and SEC level talent in the door oh yeah this is a great opportunity for Auburn to see a lot of these guys that they're going after uh in person see what they look like in a competition setting I mean you've got Cam Coleman you got the Central Phoenix City guys on campus uh Joseph Phillips the four-star linebacker from just up the road he's on campus all the Clay Chalkville guys, DJ Barber, Mario Craver, Jalen Mbakwe, the five-star Alabama commit, on campus. And it's a great opportunity just to see what these guys look look like in a competition setting going against each other on, I mean, in your own facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, you love having that opportunity as a coaching staff. And anytime you can keep bringing these guys back to campus is a positive. I mean, Jalen Mbakwe was here this past weekend on an official visit, and here he is camping with his team uh, this weekend. That's not a negative. I mean, no, to have, not him, by any have means. him on the campus two weeks in a row, I mean, that's definitely a positive. Uh, I think Bradley Shaw, uh, another four-star linebacker up from the Birmingham area, is on campus as well. I mean, it's this is a great opportunity for this Auburn coaching staff to see these guys in person, but also kind of coach them up. Let these guys get a feeling of what it would be like to play for these uh, position coaches that Auburn has Uh, Josh Aldridge working with a lot of these linebackers, um, Marcus Davis working with the receivers, all these guys. Uh, It's certainly you, you cannot complain if you're Auburn. And you you mentioned a lot of the names, but I think it's important to to name a lot of the schools that these guys are representing. You mentioned Central Phoenix City. There's a couple of big names from there. Hewitt Trustful is on that list. Carver Montgomery, we know how big that school is and what Auburn has done out of that school and what other schools have done from there as well. You have uh, a, a big name out of Florida. You have a big name out of Georgia. A couple big names out of Georgia. A couple big names out of the state of Mississippi. Like Auburn is... I know it's a shock, but they're going outside of the state and they're getting guys or they're talking to guys out of Georgia, hosting guys from Mississippi. And then, of course, the biggest schools across the state of Alabama. Yeah, I mean, getting these I mean, getting some of these Georgia schools on campus that you've that have really high level uh, players year in and year out and having these uh, these coaches at these schools see how this staff interacts with their players. I mean, it's all positive. Bradley Shaw's actually, he's not on campus. I'm misleading uh, title that I saw. He's actually at Notre Dame today. That's a um, little bit different. Yes, that is a, that is a bit different, isn't Which, it? Which, by the way, do you see that AD, the AD for Notre Dame is no longer there? Uh, I did not. I did saw not. that news today. 
That's interesting because he's that's really fascinating. I will want definitely want to read up on that. But you've I mean, you've got some guys, um you got offensive linemen, which we know is going to be such a big point of emphasis for this staff going into this next year because you were able to go kind of do the short-term band-aid, short-term fix. Um, because, I mean, the lack of bodies in the offensive line room, it was it was an open wound. And you were able to put a, band, a bandage on it with the fact that you're able to go get all of these transfers, all these guys who can be stopgaps. Gunnar Britton, Dylan Wade, Avery Jones, uh, Muskrat as well. All of those guys. you got Jeremiah Wright. You've got Isavian Miller. Guys who are older, have fewer years. You go get a guy like Connor Liu. You, you go get some other uh, guys out of the high school ranks. But the offensive line is that position that I think you need to continue to get at least four guys a year. And you'd certainly like 75% of those of your class to be high school guys so you can develop them over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I mean, I think Auburn needs to. Auburn does not have a current offensive lineman commit in the twenty-four class. I think that needs to be something that changes here over the rest of this month. And that's what all of these guys are: twenty-four and twenty-five guys mm-hmm. uh, that are on campus. Another one that really sticks out to me, Amari Smiley, uh, because you know where he's from. He's from Opelika High. He is right here in your backyard, and we know what Auburn High produces. We know what Opelika High produces, and how important it is, and how much of a leg up you have being the university in the town where Auburn High and Opelika High, both 7A schools, producing some high-level talent. So it's good to see an Opelika kid on campus as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you already have the the one Opelika commit in the 25 class. So, I mean, you've you've got some sort of a foothold uh, with that that school moving forward with this new staff. you got to feel good about that. Uh, but you said uh, it's just twenty. It's a lot of twenty four, twenty five guys. Uh, it's Malik Autry. Is that uh, the four star? Is the Opelika kid that is committed to Auburn, who I think is going to be a really, really high level player, really big frame that can. I mean, six six two eighty right now, going into his junior year of high school, he's going to be a force, mm-hmm. and he could be a guy who could easily get up to 310 315 and be a really big d d tackle up the middle for auburn uh but i want to mention this did you see the 27 guy on campus today 27 i did not see that trent seaburn the quarterback out of thompson wow okay the kid that that diced up auburn in the state championship (laughs) that kid yeah he uh man i did not see that he was on campus today at 27 that's unbelievable he needs to be ranked already i don't know if 27 rankings exist yet they don't it turns out uh yeah no he needs to be ranked because what he did last year at thompson to lead them to a state championship and what he did in the state championship against probably the second best team in the state in auburn unbelievable that reminds me, have you seen the pictures floating around of the fourth grader that is going around no. taking college no, 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 visits? No, 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 no. I, I refuse. I know. Oh, it's uh, happening. No, and he's gone to I'm seven not, or eight different schools. I A don't fourth care. grader. I don't care. I don't agree with it. I was asking if you saw it. People, uh, everything about that is gross and horrible and awful and no. 
Not only was he taking visits. They've nicknamed him Baby Gronk. He's in the fourth grade. (laughs) He has not gone through puberty. Do not tell me he's Baby Gronk. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, man. But, like, he's gone to different schools. Like, people are making videos and TikToks about the kid because they see, because for some reason, there are these people that follow these these elementary school kids. There's there was a bunch of the past couple of years that I've been it's just annoying to see these kids being like, I'm the number one quarterback in the class of twenty twenty nine and it's like you're twelve. Why <laughs> why are your parents letting you do this? Um but but these people see an opportunity to get a bunch of views on stuff and make these cheap little TikToks and stuff. And I hate it. I hate it. I don't people, like it either. People are leveraging that poor fourth grader for content on the internet and getting views. He's it's been to LSU. Looks like Missouri. Uh, I've actually been to LSU. He has pictures. He has. I know he's physically been. He there. has been there. It's not a serious visit. He's in the fourth grade. It doesn't matter. He's still at least been there. He's been there, and he's taking. He is taking official visit photos, okay? I'm not saying he's been They're there. They're not actually... official visit photos. They are – somebody let him wear shoulder pads that are for a junior high kid. They're still way too big for him, and a helmet that, that looks like it's going to fall off his head. I'm with you. He's been to the Tennessee football camp, so there's that one too. Look, I don't agree with it, and I don't think it's a good idea – but credit to the kid for being good enough for at least a college to be like, hey, come check us out. I think it's stupid. I do. But credit to the kid, man. We don't know anything about the kid. What he's going to be. He's- Who cares? Who cares? Good for him. He's nine. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're preaching the same thing, just he a different a, he song. Has a, he, has a visit, he has a visit photo at Memphis of him holding an electric guitar that's bigger than he is. <laughs> well, look, I... <laughs> I I agree. I think it's dumb. I do. I think it's so stupid. But if he look, if you are a fourth grader and LSU says, "Hey, come, come on down," you know they're not actually hosting him. I get that. I'm just saying he's at least done it and he's been there. They're only doing it, I guess, so their stuff gets in front. Of, I mean, he's got 319 thousand Instagram followers, which is that's ridiculous impressive. in its own right, but I guess it's just to get weird attention to your program for by having this kid. It can't hurt. It can't hurt your program, and I'm not saying the kid's going to grow up and be the actual next baby. I croc. wouldn't let my kid go to LSU after watching this clown show. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just I thought it was interesting, and he brought up the the. He's ten. He's ten years old. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, man. The wild world we live in. What what people will do for social media clicks and views. That's what this is. He has to live half of his life again before he even goes to college almost. Yeah. He could hate football in four years. And nobody will remember this. He could be a scrub in four years. Could be. Absolutely could be. But that's what I'm saying. There's nothing. We've gone too far. <laughs> We've gone way too far. It's so dumb. I agree. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. I am 100% with you. I just I was curious. You brought up Auburn having a 27 kid on, and so I thought... That kid has proven at high-level high school football, he's really good. I'm with you. I was just asking if you saw this kid. This other kid's doing a spelling test at school. 
No, he's not because he's out visiting Memphis. <laughs> he didn't take the spelling test last Friday because he was on a college visit in the fourth grade. We got to get to a break here in hour number two. It's our first one. We got to get to the least break. Favorite five minutes in the history of the show. I mean, it's it's definitely down there with one of the bottom few. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Have question of the day. We'll talk about the NBA Finals a little bit as the Nuggets take a two-one series lead, and then Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC, joins us coming up at three thirty. Don't turn that radio dial. We'll be right back. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Question of the day here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, and it is, why is it cool for fourth graders to take college visits? (laughs) It's not. No. I hate this. Please give me something else to talk about. That is not the actual question of the day. The real one, I want to talk about the NBA Finals just a little bit. We haven't talked a whole lot about it, um, but we have been carrying every single game of the NBA Finals here on ESPN 106.7, so be sure you're tuning in for that. Game 4 will be tomorrow night uh, in Miami, so be sure if you're looking for, for the broadcast, it's the national ESPN broadcast of the NBA Finals right here on ESPN 106.7, so be sure you're tuning in for that. Uh, but Carter, to you and of our listeners, if you're an NBA Finals fan, we'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Question of the day. Biggest surprise so far through the NBA Finals. We're three games in. The Nuggets took a 2-1 series lead last night uh, thanks to an historic game from yes. Nikola Jokic and his counterpart Jamal Murray. Jokic set an NBA Finals record last night and they both set an NBA Finals record together last night. So, Biggest surprise for you as the Nuggets go up 2-1 on the Miami Heat. I don't, I mean, biggest surprise. Or, I mean, yeah, biggest surprise or biggest disappointment or what? I biggest mean, you surprise know. surprise has to be that Jokic still is not leading the assist number for, for the finals. How about that? Because Murray huh? uh, matched him. It still has his two assist lead. Um, I mean, we knew, we've seen Jamal Murray and Jokic all playoffs long play so well. Um, on the flip side, we've seen Jimmy Butler and we've seen this Heat team kind of defy the odds. So, like, them getting a game in Denver didn't shock me. I mean, it was a little surprising because I thought this Denver team is this Denver team is the best team in the NBA, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's all that close right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest surprise is Jokic – when do we start having the conversation about him having the greatest playoffs of all time? Greatest playoffs of all time. Yeah. I mean, he's been on he's been unreal. Oh, he has. And and while you are right, that's a really interesting conversation and I think it will it will depend on how this finishes out I think the Nuggets will still win the series I said Nuggets in six originally Uh, I think that is still going to be the case but the two records that were broken last night before I let you keep going Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic were the first teammates in NBA history to both record 30 point triple doubles in the same game regular season or postseason so they both had a 30 point triple double in the same game that was the first time that's ever been done in NBA history also, Nikola Jokic, he set an NBA record last night as well with his ridiculous stat line, as you were just talking about. Uh, he, Nikola Jokic, had the first 30-20-10 game in the NBA Finals because Nikola Jokic had, in 44 minutes of game time, had 32 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. Let me say that again. 
34 points, 21 rebounds, and 10 assists. That's ridiculous. It is. And so your your statement of, is he having, and could we be talking about at the end of this, the best playoff run of all time? Could be. Absolutely could be. He'll definitely be up there for the best finals performance. Um, Now, game two was not great for him, and you saw what happened. But, I mean, he's unbelievable, man. Nikola Jokic, he set an NBA record last night, and then him and Jamal Murray both set an NBA record last night as well. Yeah, I mean he's. I mean Jokic has three forty-point games in this in this play these playoffs. One of them was a fifty-three-point game. He has nine thirty-point games, and he has ten triple doubles. He has two triple doubles, I believe, if I can find what I was just looking at, um, where he has two thirty-point, twenty-rebound, fifteen. Uh, or no, 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 10 assist tri- triple doubles. That's insane. That's ridiculous. In the, in the playoffs. In the I postseason, mean, yeah. In the postseason. His his Western Conference semifinals was an unbelievable run. I mean, it was, I think he had 30 points, in 30 plus points in four of the six games. He had triple doubles in uh, three of them. And one of them was a 30 point, 17 assist, 17 rebound. And then he had a uh, 53 point game with 11 assists and four boards. Like, he's a freak. And what's crazy is the Denver Nuggets are better when he doesn't score 50 points. They don't need him to score 50 points a game. And you look at the stats and you look at the win losses compared to when Nikola Jokic goes off for, I think, 40 may be the number. They don't win games more times than not when he goes off for that many points. But guess what? They don't need him to do that because you have guys like Jamal Murray who went off for a 30-point triple-double last night, had 34 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. You have guys like Jamal Murray. And, and other than that, I mean, the fact that the Nuggets' defense is good enough to where Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray can basically carry the whole team because only one other player on the entire roster had double digits, and that's Aaron Gordon with 11 points. So the Nuggets are doing really good things, but I think the most surprising thing to me has been the defense, especially last night in Game 3, where you hold Miami in their first game of the NBA Finals at home, you hold them to 94 points. And in the NBA, I mean, we know they average well over 100, and we know that in the playoffs they, they step up the defense, they ramp it up a little bit. But holding a team to under 100 points in today's NBA, that's what's impressive. And the fact that you're doing it in the NBA Finals against a Miami Heat team that can flat out shoot the basketball with Jimmy Butler and all of those guys, I mean, they are a really good team. And bam, out of bio inside, like the fact that Denver is holding Miami to under 100 points and last night in Game 3, that's what's surprising to me. In 18 playoff games this year, He's averaging 30.5 points, 13.4 rebounds, and 10.1 assists. Joker is. On 54.6% from the field, 47% from three, and 80% at the line. I Like, this is a Jordan-esque in terms of just dominance playoff run. It yeah. really is. And it's like, up there. This has to stack. I mean, this has to be one of... It's definitely top five playoff runs by an individual. 
I mean, especially because it was so critical for him at this point in time with it being, well, yeah, he's won two MVPs. Yeah, like he's so great. He's one of the best players in the NBA. He's the best center in the NBA. You can have that debate about him versus Joel Embiid all you want. I think I'm going to pick Jokic every time in that matchup. Um, But he'd never gone deep in the playoffs. He'd never been to a finals. And he's got a chance to win an NBA championship right here. It's somewhat similar to the narrative around kind of – it's quicker because he's only been in the league for – this is, what, fifth year? Uh, Or his his fifth playoff run. Um, It's kind of similar to the narrative around Dirk for a while. Okay. Where it was like, yeah, he's so great, but, like, he's never going to win – the big one. He's never going to go deep in the playoffs. Like he won his MVP and he got bounced in the first round as the one seed mm-hmm. by the Golden State Warriors way back in the day, and had to show up to the second round matchup to accept the award at halftime. And it's just awkward and weird and everything that goes with that. But this is unbelievable what we're seeing Jokic do right now, and mm-hmm. and Jamal Murray, like he's a hundred percent healthy. He had some injuries there. He was really good in the bubble. Got banged up, got hurt, missed a bunch of time. Now he's back healthy. He's playing phenomenal. They've got great role players around them that fill out the rest of that roster. And they're young, man. Yeah, they're, they're young. young. Like Jokic is 27. With the style that he plays, I mean, I I think he's got a peak of at least five more years. I mean, he yeah. can, he can do what he's doing right now in my mind until he's thirty two. Because least, he doesn't play, he doesn't play level, the, and then he's still going to be great, right? And he doesn't play the the Shaq style where he just says, "Give me the basketball, let me bully somebody." Right? He doesn't do that. He's more finesse out of a big man. And I like the dirt comparison. I think that's really interesting on his timeline and how he plays as well. And that's a long discussion we can have at another time when we come back. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, will join us talking about the Super Regionals coming up this weekend. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. All right, 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins. He's Carter Bird. And as always, on Thursday afternoons at 3.30, we're joined by Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. Chris, hope all is well. Uh, it's supposed to be the the off season, the downtime, but I, I'm sure you're still just as busy. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's There's no rest for the weary. I mean, we've, we've had so much stuff still going on. It's funny, they... Uh, you know, with Locked On, we have meetings every week, and, uh, you know, they brought up, they're like, we know it's the dead time, and, you you know, you guys might be really stretching for uh, content. I said, not really. I was like, <laughs> we've got something relevant to talk about constantly. So, yeah, man, it's uh, between the, the, the SEC meetings and future scheduling and all that stuff. Uh, you know, SEC media days are going to be here before we know it, and we'll be thrust into uh, fully previewing the 2023 football season. 
You're right about that. And with media days right around the corner, then we know, like you said, it's it's football season is on right after that. But before we start talking football in the in the uh, scheduling and NIL and all that type of stuff that's been going on over the past couple of weeks, want to talk to you about SEC baseball because you had the regionals last week, uh, an historic number of eight SEC teams hosted a regional. Ten total SEC squads were in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you saw most of them move on, one of them obviously being Auburn. Uh, that did not make it to the Super Regional. So just your breakdown of what you saw in regional play from around the Southeastern Conference last weekend. Yeah, I mean, I I was disappointed to see Auburn lose in their own regional. But, you know, in hindsight, like, the fact that Arkansas and Vanderbilt didn't make it out of theirs, like, I really can't be that mad at Auburn. Um, You know, I, I was talking with some folks a few weeks ago, and, and, you know, they were saying, look, Auburn's almost playing with house money, them and Alabama this year. And, uh, they kind of felt like, yeah, Auburn should have won their regional, but, like, you can't get that mad at them for not winning it. And, and the future looks bright. I mean, Butch Thompson's done a great job, the recruiting class coming in. Like, uh, the future hopes are high for, for Auburn baseball. And so, uh, again, you know, I never think you should lose a, a regional at home, but, Southern Miss is a good program, man, and, and that's a program that, that beat LSU last year, ousted them, so there's no shame in losing to a team like that. I mean, I think they're going to give Tennessee all they have, and, and honestly probably should be the betting favorite to beat Tennessee this weekend at, at home in Hattiesburg. So, um, yeah, look, it, it was a good season for Auburn. I, I can't be too mad at them, but man, Arkansas and Vanderbilt, y'all were both two top, top four seeds. What are you doing losing at home? You have no business doing that, so to me, that that was way more disappointing than what Auburn did. Well, it's it's always tough when you have the uh, TCU uh, hitter hit two grand slams in the first two innings <laughs> and and put you really behind the eight ball in a twenty to five loss if you're Arkansas. So, I mean, that's not going to happen very often. But talking about Auburn, because earlier this year we we were able to ask Andy Burcham, the the Auburn uh, the voice of Auburn athletics, earlier this week about it. I mean, Auburn was dead in the water after the Texas A&M, after the Alabama series. Like, we were talking about, could this team get to Hoover? And then the way that they turned around and were able to make that 13-3 and run down the stretch to, to seal that host position, do you, view, do you view this season as a success for Auburn or as the way that the regional went south? Does that leave a bad taste in your mouth? Yeah, it's tough, man, because you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, they were dead in the water a couple of weeks ago, and for them to to kind of rebound like they did, I mean, you you, you get up off the mat, and you, you win two out of three against Mississippi State, you win two out of three against South Carolina, you know, you win a series against LSU, I believe, when they were still ranked number one in the country, you sweep Ole Miss, and then, you know, you sweep Missouri. Uh, like, yeah, I mean, they, they it felt like, you know, this, this is a team that finally, like, got to where they should be, um, you know, you win a game in, in Hoover, that was good. And then, you know, you host a regional side, a top 16 team, that was great. But, um, yeah, I mean, they left you wanting more. So, uh, you know, again, I don't know if I pin it a success, but certainly wasn't a disappointment, which is what it was looking like probably about two months ago. So, again, you know, people i talked to have said the future looks bright. You, you feel good about what, you, what Butch Thompson is building there. We'll see what happens with who you know who's coming back, who might hit the transfer portal, or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I think there are a couple pitchers away. I mean, I, I think if you look at this pitching staff this year, there were some ERAs that just were too a little too high for my liking. If you can get some good pitching, 
some good pitching in here to get some good arms to go with the offense. I think Auburn's in business next year. And Chris, when you look around the Super Regionals coming up this weekend, uh, we have some really good SEC teams still playing, a couple of good SEC versus SEC matchups. Uh, we we had a, a baseball guy on earlier and asked him the same question. Your your biggest predictions, hottest takes, and just overall thoughts on what the Super Regionals will look like this weekend? Well, it stinks that we've got two SEC teams playing each other. Um, you know, I, I wish I wish it could have been split up a little bit more. I mean, the fact Indiana State is playing TCU and they have a chance to, to get to the regionals or Oral Roberts could pull off an upset over Oregon and get to the get to the Omaha like like if we're talking to Indiana State and Oral Roberts are in Omaha yet two SEC teams got eliminated this weekend because oh they just so happen to play other SEC teams. I think that kind of stinks. But I, I think it's gonna hold firm. I mean I, I think Florida's gonna come out of the Gainesville regional, but South Carolina is dangerous, man. That offense can click at any time, and they can put up double digits on you. Um, I still think LSU comes out of the, the Baton Rouge re, uh, Super Regional, although, look, Kentucky is in a prime spot, man. I mean, they're playing with house money. This is only their second Super Regional ever. Uh, the first one was just a couple of years ago in 2017. Uh, Miglione's done a great job there, and, like, I, I don't know. Like, if LSU throws Paul Skeens on Saturday, that's their ace in the hole. They, they don't have much behind that, and so – I almost wonder if Kentucky will go, look, let's throw our second or third best arm on Saturday. We'll lose that one, but we'll come back and win Sunday, Monday, and win this Super Regional and get to Omaha. It it wouldn't shock me, but uh, I'll stick with the chalk there. I'll stick with LSU. I'll stick with Florida. I think Tennessee's got a chance going to Hattiesburg and playing Southern Miss. Like I said, it's a really good team. That's a tough, hostile environment. You know, a buddy of mine who went to Southern Miss was telling me they actually averaged more fan attendance um, throughout the weekend series than Tennessee did. And that's why they were successful in winning that bid over Knoxville. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee does. I do think Tennessee does pull off the upset and, and, and be, wins the uh, Hattiesburg Super Regional. Alabama's a tough one, man. I mean, again, another team that's just playing with house money. No one expected them to get this far after the Brad Bohannon firing and all that. You're playing the number one seed in Wake Forest, but I will say, I mean, Wake Forest has been good all year, but they were not the number one team for much of this year. It was LSU. It wasn't until the late, you know, the late weeks of the season that Wake Forest jumped ahead of them and became the number one team. So I've seen some people saying, oh, it's David versus Goliath. Yeah, I get that. But I think if Alabama goes in there and pitches well and, and the offense clicks, you know, they have a chance to pull off that upset over Wake Forest. But I'll say we get three SEC teams in, in Omaha. I think it'll be uh, – Obviously, the winner of the Baton Rouge Regional, the uh, Super Regional, the winner of the uh, Gainesville Super Regional, and I'll say that Tennessee beats uh, Southern Miss and they get to Omaha. I, I just I can't bet on Alabama. I'll be rooting for them to, to pull off the upset, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think we get three teams in. Does Does Alabama have the bats to go toe for toe toe to toe with that Wake Forest offense that scored what forty eight runs in three games this past weekend? Yeah, that's that's why I say like I think it's all I think it's on the pitching. I mean, the, the, they've got to get some good arms and some good performances to, to keep those weight uh, bats in check. Uh, but I mean, look, they put up eleven runs on Troy last weekend. They they've they found offense when they've needed it. You know, all you need is one run better than the other team. You know, they they shut up Austin College on Sunday eight nothing. So um, we'll see. Again, they, they've got to have the pitching. If they fall behind, say like. Four nothing, five nothing early against Wake. It'll be it'll be curtains, but um, they've got a chance. I won't say it's a zero percent chance. They got a chance. Are we are we at a point in time where we can uh, go ahead and claim uh, a, a Texas upset of Stanford as 
kind of an SEC extra team in, in Omaha? <laughs> We're almost there. I was watching Oklahoma versus uh, Florida State in the, the softball championship last night, and my buddy was like, "Is this? Uh, do we claim this as an SEC victory? I was like, eh, not yet, not just yet, but certainly it's, it's close. And obviously with the SEC meetings down in Destin a week ago, Oklahoma and Texas had representatives there, so it is – we were getting ever so close to calling them SEC teams, but uh, hey, look, if you're, if you're an SEC fan, you want to claim a Texas victory as an SEC win, go for it. We're speaking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. And speaking of Texas and Oklahoma, even after the SEC spring meetings, Chris, it's still the biggest conversation. It's still what gets people fired up. Eight games versus nine games. What could the schedule look like coming up in the future uh, in 2024 and beyond? Now that we're about a week removed from all that, how do you feel about where the SEC's schedule is going for football in 24 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, I don't like it. I, I really, you know, we were on a path to have the nine conference games, the three permanent rivals, and, and the full rotation of everybody else. Um, I get why they did it. I mean, everybody I've talked to, we had Brandon Marcello on the show earlier this week from 24-7 Sports. He even said as much that it's it's money. It, it was money that was the, the deciding factor that Greg Sankey and company said, look, if we're going to go from eight to nine games and Disney's not going to give us any more money, then we'll just stick at eight, and we'll you guys, you know, we'll circle back when you guys have more money and want to give us more revenue. So um, that's ultimately the deciding factor. I know there's some schools like Kentucky and Ole Miss and South Carolina who voted no because you know, let's be real. If you're Shane Beamer and you got the permanent rivalry with Clemson, that's a brutal game every year. And then you want to go from eight to nine conference games. That makes the path to try to get the six and six or seven to five even tougher. You know, because you know this is the SEC. It's cut dark. The minute you go five and seven, you're on the hot seat if not getting fired. And so um, I think some of those coaches like Mark Stoops and Shane Beamer, they just want to protect their butts and say, you know, look, we, we're going to try to win the conference, but if we don't, we don't want to be getting fired just because we added another conference game to the slate. So I think it's coming. Paul Feinbaum said, you know, this week he thinks 2025 they'll go to nine and we'll preserve all those rivalries, but Man, the, the schedule's coming out, I believe, what is it, this coming Wednesday for 2024 with the one permanent rival and, and eight you know, conference games. Not all schedules are created equal. There are going to be some teams that, are, that get the benefit of a soft schedule. There are going to be some teams that totally get screwed over and have to go play road trips at Austin or at Alabama or at you know, some tough, hostile environments. So I'm going to be curious to see how they do it. They say they're going to try to preserve as many of the traditional rivalries as possible. I'll believe it when I see it. You know, Brad Crawford reported earlier this week that it certainly is possible that Alabama-Tennessee is not on the schedule for 2024. I think that would be a travesty wow. to, to say because of this, we, we lose some of the traditional rivalries all because we couldn't agree to a nine-game schedule. So we'll see how it works. But, you know, look, man, you, you had two teams and you go to 16, but you're only going to play eight. There are going to be some teams that have much easier schedules than others. When you uh, look at what else has been going on with the SEC this week, everybody sent their athletic directors and their coaches and their reps up to D.C. to go talk about uh, name, image, and likeness, NIL. What do you think is going to come out of this, the SEC sending everybody to go talk to their state reps? Yeah, I think think this is absolutely, like, overkill. Like, the only people complaining about this is the coaches that, don't like, uh, you know, the quote-unquote tampering. We heard that word thrown around by every coach last week at the SEC meetings. Tampering, tampering. 
I think the average college football fan just doesn't care. Like, have you seen some, you know, outside of A&M signing the number one recruiting class two years ago with, with all the NIL money they threw at recruits, like, I don't think there's that many people complaining about, man, our star player is getting too much money. You know, like, uh, how dare our star wide receiver sign that NIL deal with that law firm? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that many uh, SEC fans are really sitting back going, God, the NIL is such a big problem right now. Like, I think most of us are like, hey, it's a good thing. You know, some of these players are making a little bit of money. It's awesome. I do think that you have to rein in the recruiting part of it. But, man, when I heard Hunter Juracek say the other day that, you know, young men and women are making decisions not to go to Major League Baseball the NBA, or the NBA because they can make more in college. Does that make any sense? And I'm going, Hunter, listen to what you're saying. That's good for your sport. That's good for college football or basketball or baseball that players are, are opting not to go pro and stay in college for another year. That's awesome. That's good for the sport. I don't understand why that would be a problem, but Hunter Juracek, Juracek sees that as a problem, and unfortunately Tommy, Tommy Tuberville and other folks are up there saying, oh, we got to get a hold of this. we got to cut back, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Again, is there a path where it gets out of control? Sure. But I don't know if anybody's looking around right now at the state of Idaho and saying, God, this is just bonkers. It's ruining the sport. It's not. It's fine. And uh, it's, it certainly is not as uh, rampant and crazy as some people predicted a couple of years ago. Well, look, my vote is to send Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC, to Washington, D.C. and let him speak <laughs> in front of Congress and represent the Southeastern Conference. That's my vote. Yeah, it's it's just silly, man. I mean, look, it's a lot of old farts that don't like young 17-, 18-year-old kids getting money, but but my retort to that, and somebody convinced me of this a couple of years ago, they said, if somebody had given you a million dollars when you were 18, what would you have done with it? I said, oh, I would have blown it. They're like, yeah. So why should you care if some kid doesn't know? You learn from your mistakes. You learn from life lessons. If some idiot booster with a collective wants to give a kid a million dollars, let it happen, and he'll learn from his mistakes if he blows it all. Like, why should we be the preachy, the preachy people standing on a podium going, he needs to save his money and send it the right way? Like, who cares? It, it, again, this is all just, it, it, we've opened the floodgates, let people spend on NIL money, and when it doesn't pay off and the five-star recruit is a bust, people will pull back on their spending and they won't be giving all that money away. I'm with you, man. And I like where you're going with that. I wish we could talk about this for the next hour. But unfortunately, uh, we are out of time and we appreciate you always coming on. And, and look, our show motto is tell it like it is and hold nothing back. And that is exactly what you do. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. He joins us every Thursday at 3.30 here on On the Line. Chris, we appreciate you, brother, as always. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and your podcast and what's coming up. Yeah, just Locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast. We've got the YouTube version up and uh Tomorrow we'll have our recruiting insider, uh, Brian Smith, on to talk the latest with uh, SEC recruiting and um, get the, the skinny on what's happening from Auburn to Georgia to Florida, among other schools. So check it out, Locked on SEC. Chris, we appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you next week, all right? All right, thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. It seems like every time we have him on, he always goes out firing. He always gave, goes down punching, right? I love it. I absolutely love it. We'll get to our final break here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll come back, sort of talk about what he had to say for just a few minutes before we get out of here, here on ESPN 106. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line. A big thank you to Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SCC. It's hot in here, man. He just he he just burns the phone lines up on his way out every week. And you know what? 
I'm here for it. That's why we bring him on. He he's one of the best, and he great. he. <laughs> Look, I said my vote is send Chris Gordy to Washington, D.C. and tell him why all the, and I quote, old farts are wrong about about NIL when it comes to college students. I mean, look, Chris, he, uh, Chris he's always great, man. is one of the best things that, that happens on this show. It, it's, it's, I look forward to it every week. I really do. I look forward to it because it starts out, it starts out, you know, talking about whatever's going on and then it just... We something sparks and he's like, oh yeah, I want to talk about this point, and then he just runs with it, and he's so passionate about it. That's what makes it so much fun that what we do and what he does, and so uh, we appreciate him. And if you enjoy it as much as we do, uh, be sure to go and check out Locked On SEC, uh, your daily uh, podcast covering everything going on around the Southeastern Conference. Uh, how about him saying Southern Miss beating Tennessee this weekend? How about that in the Super Reach? That's not what he said. He said they should be the betting favorites. He then said Tennessee. He thinks Tennessee is going to win this, win the Super. Oh, I misunderstood then. My apologies. I thought. Well, he was saying the betting favorites, yes. and so I ran with that as yes. And then, which is why I was a little surprised when he got around to making talking about the SEC and supers. He's like, I, I think Tennessee gets it done. My apologies. I, I misunderstood like, ah. then. I was like, that's okay. I'm, well, I was I was surprised by that in the moment because of what he had said previously. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I misunderstood that. That's my apologies. I misunderstood, but. In general, he was talking super regionals and stuff like that, and talking about the regionals and something that we really didn't even talk about a whole lot with with Lindsey when he was in here about Vanderbilt and Arkansas both not making it out of their regional as well. Uh, people, Auburn has gotten enough crap about not getting out of theirs, but Vanderbilt but Arkansas that's a good re, uh, a good bring up from Chris. Vanderbilt just doesn't have any pop in the lineup. Mm-hmm. They're super fast and they can pitch, but they just like. When I look at that lineup, they just don't have they've they the best Vanderbilt teams have had one or two guys that they walk up to the plate and you're like, yeah, th- this guy any given pitch can hit this ball 430 feet. Right. And they don't really have that right now. They've got a ton of speed, a ton of athleticism, uh, and really good pitching. They'll always have great pitching as long always. as Tim Corbin is there because he produces first round pitchers at a rate that is just insane i think mm-hmm. he florida vanderbilt florida and lsu are your top three schools in the country at doing that um but yeah i mean i'm not overwhelmingly shocked they didn't make it because i thought they were really good but i thought that they kind of as we saw it in the sec tournament they could kind of get caught in games where they get behind they're not really built to go put up a crooked number or two when they have to to come back and take take a game over uh, Arkansas, yeah, you you got got by TCU the <laughs> yeah, first you game, and you're and you're playing from behind the rest of the way, and yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think they just ran into. I mean, TCU is the hottest team in the country right now. I think they've lost two games in their last like twenty three, and Arkansas was on the wrong end of that, and so hey, we appreciate. Yeah, maybe something like that. We appreciate Chris Gordy, host of Locked on SEC. And back in the first hour, Lindsey Crosby of all of his outlets as well. Go check those guys out. Come back tomorrow, though, 2 to 4, right here on ESPN 106.7. Until then, stay safe. I'll talk to you later.